Today's scripture comes from Proverbs. Proverbs 1, just 1, 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 2, 1-10. to My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up, the sound, stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You may be seated. And as you're being seated, let's pray. God, we, we thank you for these, these words of yours. Uh, I pray that you give us wisdom this morning as we, as we wander and ponder uh, what community is and what it could look like uh, in you. In this we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Heath. I am part of the team of Christ City, but you don't see me all the time because I, I hang out in East Vancouver and I have the privilege of living on the downtown east side. So I spend most of my time there. So as we get started, I have a disclaimer for you. Our topic of community today, I have literally spent 25 years hyper-focused on two questions relating to it. I've even moved countries, spent time and lived in a left-wing anarchist community, planted a church there, all because I've been noodling these two questions in my head. And they are, how do people change? And how is authentic community formed? Today, in our sermon, these two questions merge together. And I will do my best, this is the disclaimer, to not have you drink from the fire hose that is my brain. I will not give you 25 years worth of like rabid squirrel trails in a 30-minute sermon. Yes, I have ADHD. Okay, are you ready? Okay, good. I like the third gathering. So the perceived question that we're, we're asking today is how does the book of Proverbs impact our lives and community? What tips and tricks does this ancient collection of like antithetical statements give for us to help us live our lives in perfect unity with the environment? Oh, anyway, seriously, how does this book help us live our lives in relation to not only God, but to one another in our communities? How does this help you, when you with your neighbor who has his dog do its business on your yard? How does this help us? Well, might I postulate, in every way. You see, this topic of community in this book of Proverbs, it, it acts almost as a summary of the whole book. 
in its entirety. All of the topics we've looked at all summer, whether it's like parenting, sex lies, trust and humility, anger, restraint, diligence, slothfulness, honesty, deception. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff in there. Contentment, greed, our decision-making. And next week, Sam is going to look at friendship and enmity. This topic of community in Proverbs is not combo number four off the behavioral menu. No, it is the menu. It is the menu. The whole book is about how are we as a people before God, how we relate to community and to the people that are in proximity to us. That's what this book is about. All of these topics, all of these things that we've looked at all summer are part of the whole, are part of the whole of how we interact as part of a culture and a community and the society at large. And we've seen all summer, how Proverbs kind of highlights two different ways of thinking. We can, we can live in wisdom and in righteousness over here, or we can be foolish, stupid, and wicked over here. I added the stupid bit. The question is, how does this book of Proverbs impact our community? Well, I'd say the answer is simple, but not simplistic, and that is in every way. So if my assertion is true, the hard question that we have to grapple with this morning, the real question that we need to look at is why do we have so much trouble with it? Why does community feel so dysfunctional? Why is it? See, I can, I can feel the tension. I've, this is the third sermon. And I can feel every time I, I go, I can feel the tension in the room ratchet up. Why? because it's so loaded in our minds. We have this expectation, unrealized expectation attached to community that's not there. It's, it's like ethereal to the point where, where our hackles are up even when the word community is brought up in Christian circles particularly. Now I'm just gonna state the elephant in the room because I'm that guy. See, I could list 10 things 10 beliefs up on the screen behind me. I'm not going to do it, but I could list 10 things, key core beliefs in Christianity, and we could all sit here and we could all affirm them. Every single person from every gathering would probably affirm those 10 things. Yet why, when we step outside these doors, do we actually have trouble when we're confronted dealing with those key beliefs in the real world? You see, why is it that we have trouble with knowledge, with wisdom, with righteousness, on the ground in real time. Because these things are a lot easier to espouse than they are to actually live out, aren't they? We need wisdom and shoe leather, which we don't have. And this is why we have a hard time. This is why we sometimes fail. So then why is it that we settle for fractured community? Why is it that if you call yourself a Christian here this morning, that we can believe the right things, yet somehow lack wisdom and righteousness? That's the question. Why, under the moniker of, you know, like, protecting ourselves, we don't respond in love? Why do we, you know, bend the rules to, in, to get ahead in, in all those ethical gray areas of our work life? Why is it that we struggle with imposter syndrome, thinking, hopefully nobody notices that I'm a fraud? Why then, and maybe this is just me, why then, as a coping strategy, do we backfill this gaping hole that we have of our behavioral shame with theological assertions to protect ourselves? Why? That is the question we have to look at this morning. Why? Solomon's words are for us this morning. I'll read the text again. 
the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and their saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. Solomon's words here this morning are for us. You're like, wait, 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 wait. Some of you are like, I'm not youth. No, problems, the problem we have this morning, we functionally, we're the simpleton here. We're the ones that, that Solomon is addressing. We don't think we are. We think we're the wise guys, wise people. And, you know, but in reality, we're the simpleton. We are the simple. We are a people in need of instruction. We need the wisdom. We need the knowledge. And we need the righteousness that Proverbs teaches. Why? Because as we walk into the ethical gray areas of our lives, we need to be confident in dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. We need the fear of the Lord. Now, Bruce Walkie, he's a theologian, and, and some of his writings on the book of Proverbs, I find it really helpful to, to frame our understanding as the, of the book as a whole. And he says this, Wisdom in Proverbs, and its correlative term righteousness, so wisdom and, and righteousness, is all about being rightly related to God, to other human beings, to all creatures, and to the environment. Now, I'm from Alberta, that might be a hard sell there, but anyway... The wisdom and the knowledge that our technical, technological culture has lost is found in the book of Proverbs. The conceptualization of righteousness should be subsumed under the umbrella concept of doing what is right in a social relationship as defined by God's standard of what is right behavior. In sum, if a person is wise, he or she is righteous. If wicked, they are fools. Skillful living is invariably doing what is right. See, Walkie argues in Proverbs, wisdom and knowledge is all about what, what is doing right in the context of community and relationality with each other, with those around us in proximity. That's community. Wisdom and righteousness in the book of Proverbs is the equivalent to the Mosaic teaching of love your neighbor as yourself. So, I... We've heard this all summer, but I actually really think this is pretty profound. In a cheeky way, Bruce Walkie, this theologian, he coins a proverb about proverbs. And he says this, how meta is that? The wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others, but the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage others. This slogan, you probably heard it in form somewhere or another in every single sermon all summer. So let me read it again. The wicked advantage themselves by disadvantaging others, but the righteous disadvantage themselves to advantage others. So the question this morning is not what Proverbs can do for you. No, it's about what you can do for the other. The real question we have to deal with is why do we have so much trouble disadvantaging ourselves in our relationships? <coughs> to answer that question, Proverbs gives us a whole nother way to live. So we're like five minutes in now and I can finally get to my three points. They are the mirage of community, the death and isolation, and the oasis of wisdom. There we go. Mirage of community, death and isolation, and oasis of wisdom. Now, 
Last month, I had the wonderful pleasure of speaking at a, uh, at a gig in Denver, Colorado. It's kind of, I've got this got this new thing I'm working on. It's a sideline gig, a new church network. But anyway, instead of flying, I thought it'd be really intelligent to ride my motorcycle 6,000 kilometers. Yeah. Let's save a few bucks, Heath. Good idea, Heath. Anyway, at some point last month, I found myself at 80 mile an hour, like 130 kilometers an hour, booking it through the desert in Moab, Utah. Thank you. It's above 40 degrees Celsius I don't want to give you the image, but I'm going to anyway. It felt like I was like riding in my underwear, sweating from, I was like blistered, sunburned. My nose was so sunburned, it was purple and peeling. It peeled like six times in the next month. I'm surprised I have skin left. So at some point, as I'm riding through some of the most beautiful landscape I've ever seen in my life, now I don't know whether it was the heat exhaustion, the, some sort of hallucinations, or just an optical illusion, but I actually had troubles determining where the road was at some point. There was so much heat coming off the black tarmac, I, I couldn't tell where the road was. And it was about there that I hit my first bird of the trip with my head. He didn't make it. Ask me about it later. I hit two birds that trip, both with my head. See, the principle is this. Sometimes we can't see the road from the heat coming off. We see things that aren't there. We can't distinguish commu the community we form from the community that it should be. And we're unable to see the danger in front of us. For many of us, community is a mirage. It's a mirage that we walk into wholeheartedly, unable to see the peril in front of us. And usually it's because we're wounded from past experience. I'm just going to state, we've all hit a few birds with our head when it comes to community. I'm pretty sure many of you here this morning have walked in absolutely train wrecked by bad community. Now, to be clear, to be clear, this need, this universal human need to belong, it's there. It's real. The desire for authentic community is there. It's put there by God. It's a good thing. The need is real. The problem is, at the same time, simultaneously on the ground, our belonging in our community feels unrealized. It's a societal mirage. It's an itch that can't be scratched. It's something that we all long for, yet it's fickle, it's elusive, it's ethereal, it's like sand dripping through our hands. For many of us, Community doesn't feel like a cocktail by the beach. It's more like, you know, heat exhaustion and sunburn and, you know, your head hitting a bird. That's the dissonance that we feel. That's the mirage of community. And it's for this reason why Proverbs begins as it does. And I'll reread verses 2 to 5 again. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. That's about how we live and interact. Okay, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. 
The author here understands our distortion, the mirage, and he pleads with us, the simpletons, calling us to be trained in wisdom and righteousness, to receive instruction. We need his guidance. We need this guidance. We need his wisdom. We need the knowledge to help us navigate through the heat waves. Part of the optical illusion is this, which is find it interesting. By default, we, we succumb to, to, to all or nothing thinking. We think, okay, community, community. And in our minds, we go to this like twisted, weird utopia thing we've got in our heads. And we think, if community, it should be this. And therefore, if it's not that, then okay, when we struggle with loneliness and isolation, it's there. And so we have this like, you know, dialect. We think it's a dialectic of, of community versus isolation. But really, that's not what Proverbs teaches. Proverbs teaches, it gives us clarity. For good or for ill, what Proverbs says is that we all form community. That's what humans do. If you look, if you look all the way from Tower of Babel all the way through human history, we form communities, we create cultures, and we build societies for good or for ill. This is where Proverbs doubles down and it says, look, it pleads with us. We should choose to walk in wisdom and create righteous communities rather than wicked ones. Why? Because if we live for ourselves, we disadvantage others. If we live for community, we advantage others and ironically, community flourishes. Proverbs here contrasts wise community with foolish community. Now, when I say it out loud, we're all like, yeah, of course, that makes total sense, Heath. I know this to be true. But see, the mirage distorts our vision, our perception, and ultimately our expectations. And it leaves us wanting for more. Proverbs here pleads with the listener, calling us to wisdom, warning us that our default setting is the mirage by disadvantaging others. The whole premise of Proverbs is that we need to be disciplined in wisdom, to create a righteous community. That's it. I, I actually think, when I first became a Christian, when I was like an early teenager, I had this old German guy. I thought he was like 900 years old at the time. But I think now, I'm like, when I look back, I'm like, oh, he's my age now. Oh, boy. Okay. And so, when I was a kid, he took me under his arm, and he made me memorize Proverbs chapters 1 and 2. And I thought, what a moron. I don't need this. But let me tell you, the more I've struggled and looked at community and how people change, the more I realize how profound these texts are. We need to be disciplined in wisdom to create righteous community. So I've lived on the downtown east side for a bunch of years now. And I've seen a few street sweeps. I don't know if you know what a street sweep is. What happens is a tent city pops up and, you know, people leave it there and it kind of flourishes in its own way. It proliferates. And then, you know, after a certain time, it's forcibly removed. Now, from the outsider, that makes sense, right? We're looking at a tent city poses potential hazards, fire hazards. Like last winter, there was one tent that blew up with like nine propane bottles in it. Can you hello, like... It was crazy. I was like, what's that? The issue is this. When the cleanup is done, when the crews have evaporated, the cry on the street is actually pretty surprising. It's one of lost community. Think about that. What's lamented is not lack of food. No, because you, there's plenty of food on the downtown east side. What is not lamented is the lack of drugs, because, man, you could score drugs anywhere on the downtown east side. 
It's not even a home. Homes are offered. Okay, there is a shortage of that. But no, what is lost is a sense of community. It's been ripped from them. A group identity of safety is, is there. It's dysfunctional. It's broken. It, Proverbs, you know, says that it's wicked. But it's still a community. It still functions as a community, as weird as that sounds. It's real, but it's certainly not healthy. The thing is this. The reason why we have problems with community is because every single one of us has had to lament the loss of community, haven't we? We've had community ripped from us from one way or another, whether it's broken relationships with family members or a friend that ghosted you. When, for, when community is forcibly taken from you, there is loss there. See, this is the confidence, and this is the allure that the Mirage gives us. It's like we have a sense of safety in this community, no matter if it's functional, dysfunctional, or anything. We have this confidence there. And the allure of the Mirage is said, that's okay, that's what we have to strive for. This over here, that's garbage. We have to settle for what we have. Let's look at Proverbs 5, 1 through 14. This might have us give us some perspective. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O oh sons, listen to me. And do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest your strangers take their fill of your strength and your laborers go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan. When your flesh and body are consumed, you say, oh, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Whew, that's hard. See, for us this morning, the gift that the downtown east side gives us is this kind of honesty. It exemplifies what Proverbs shows us. The ability to see the road through the mirage of the forbidden lips dripping sweet with honey. The downtown east side gives us the opportunity to look at ourselves. And understand that if we are not disciplined and intentionally on the path of wisdom, by default, we fall prey to the smooth words of the forbidden things in our lives. And we create communities built on our weaknesses and our dysfunctionality. And if we're not attentive, if we're not attentive, Proverbs says that we will fall prey and create tent cities of our own sin. Our addictions may not be meth, fentanyl, or crack cocaine. No, but let me tell you, they're just as destructive and just as enslaving. Without the path of wisdom that Proverbs speaks to, we are just as broken and we build wicked communities based upon those things. And in the end, I can almost guarantee you will say, just like many of my friends, I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. See, the mirage, the illusion that we live with, the very reason why we have troubles with community, Christ City, is that somehow we think that the communities we build are immune to this. We somehow think that we will not fall prey to that. No, not at all, not me. And we live as though 
as though we don't deal with that. So we should close the door, lock it up, and hope it goes away. Only once we see the mirage for what it is that we can actually hit our second point. Because it gets worse. Death in isolation. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Okay, so bear with me here. When we see that we all build community for good or for ill, right? We get that. Either in wise ways or in foolish ways. We understand that. In chapter 1, we see that if we listen to instruction, if we gain wisdom, if we gain insight, then we see in verse 7, the result is the fear of the Lord, which leads to knowledge. The fear of the Lord leads to knowledge. So therefore, we have already described and defined that this knowledge is relational skill. So the fear of the Lord leads to relational skill. So if being in right relationship with God leads to the ability to be in right relationship with others around us, bear with me here, then the question begs to be asked, what happens in the end of those who despise wisdom and instruction? You follow me? You with me? Okay. I think the answer to that question is isolation. It's isolation that leads to death. You see... As I was riding through the desert, I actually saw more dead things on the side of the de- road in the desert than I did live things. Hmm. That should give us cause for pa- pause for caution there. If we, the mirage leads us into the desert all alone and we find ourselves at the end parched, wanting for resources, that's hard. We die. Proverbs 18, chapter 18, verse 1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, he breaks out against all sound judgment. So if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, if being in right relationship with God leads to ability to be in right relationship with those around us, then this inverse is true. Isolation then is a byproduct of fractured relationships in wicked and foolish community stemming from a broken relationship with God himself. Follow me? There is an interesting social construct called self-determination theory. And it tries to explain some of these things on a macro level, like what it means to be human and what are our motivations. And essentially, this is what Proverbs teaches. The idea is this, that we as humans have three basic needs. One is that we need to feel value. We need to have confidence in what we do in our jobs, in our life. We need to have confidence in our purpose. The second thing we need is we need to feel a sense of self-worth and control over our own lives and our own destiny. We need, it's our autonomy. So we need to have confidence in what we do. We need to have autonomy in how we do it. And then the third thing we need is we need to feel connected to those around us. We need to belong. We can, we can see the problem where this leads already, can't we? What happens with one of these is out of sync with the others. What happens if you elevate certain things in our lives over other things? Well, it stands to reason, reason that the atrophy. Individually or culturally, if you promote certain things over others, those other things atrophy. Now, when I was a kid, I spent a lot of time in the gym. I know you can't tell it now, but I did. So you have to, you have to trust me on that one. And, 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 and the way, way it goes is like this. We all know there's a character in the gym, right? There's this guy. He's a meathead. He's like a gym rat. And he's beefed. He's like jacked up. He's got no neck. He's he looks like Dwayne Johnson, and then he steps out from behind the uh, bench press machine, and you look, and it's like, oh, that dude's got, like, pencil legs. He's got supermodel legs. What do we know? 
the dude skipped leg day. So if you don't know what leg day, leg day is one day in your exercise routine where all you work out is your legs. This dude, for whatever reason, has skipped leg day. Now, we get it. We all have seen those types of people. We know it's like, oh, wow, ooh, wow. Christ City, here's the point. We as a culture and we as a society, we've forgotten leg day. Why do we have troubles with community, Christ City? Because inside the church, we are no different. We are a culture that has forgotten leg day. Now, I was reading this book a while ago. It's called Tribe. It's by this war correspondent, uh, journalist, author, whatever, Sebastian Younger. And he's exploring in this book this idea that humans need to belong. And he's testing this, this human need to belong and corresponding rates of, of depression, PTSD, uh, suicide, and largely estrangement in culture. And this is his observation. He says, Modern society seems to emphasize extrinsic values such as status, money, and beauty over extrinsic, intrinsic ones. And as a result, we suffer the effects of isolation. That's pretty much what Proverbs says. The whole book that he's writing here explores the effects of isolation in our culture. Now, what we've done culturally is we've taken these extrinsic values of who we are and what we do, and we overshadow the need of our intrinsic need of belonging. And as a result, we suffer. We suffer in isolation, and that isolation pragmatically and anecdotally results in higher depression rates and suicidal ideation. I won't tell you in the last three years how many times I can't, it's, it's, it's lots, of how many people I've had dialogue with who are struggling with suicidal thoughts. And those are not the people from the downtown east side. We as a people, we as a culture, we as a church have forgotten leg day. We have elevated extrinsic things connected to our autonomy. And unfortunately, we've lost our sense of belonging. And the results, Christ City, are far worse than looking stupid in a Speedo. That's an image you can't get out of your head now. Good. There we go. Laugh. That's all right. It's okay. See, this is the problem why we can talk, we can strategize, we, we, can, we could even be sitting here this morning thinking to yourself, this is a healthy community, but why do I feel so alone? This is why. We've forgotten leg day. And we feel the effects of isolation even in the context of our Christian community. So when you forget leg day and you elevate autonomy and competence over the need to belong, the sad reality is, is that our orientation then shifts from the community and its well-being to me and my well-being. My protection then becomes paramount, fortunately, at the expense of everyone else. That's why we have trouble with community Christ City. Put another way, when we elevate autonomy and competence over our need to belong, our orientation then and our outlook shifts from disadvantaging ourselves to disadvantaging others for our needs. Proverbs says, now this is, this is Twitter or Exible or whatever you want to call it now. Proverbs says that skipping leg day is foolish and wicked. 
There's a text in Proverbs chapter 6 that I find really fascinating. It's always intrigued me. It's noodled in my brain. It's kind of this weird vice list. Now, we've, we see vice lists in the New Testament, and they've got all these sort of lists of, you know, a lot of sexual stuff and some other stuff. But this, this list here in Proverbs is quite different. It's punchy, it's pretty absolute, and it's somewhat surprising. Proverbs 6.16 starts with this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. And then we come to this list, right? So we've got, I've always wondered, why these seven things? You ever thought, why these seven things? You know, why are these an abomination to the Lord? And I've noodled that for a long time. And I think, I think it's because these things destroy and decimate community. They destroy relationality with each other. They destroy our trust. It's basically nuclear fallout on a relational scale. And I think why these are an abomination to the Lord, why? Is because they represent everything that God is not. Here we go. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes. Oh, that speaks to our, yeah, that speaks to how we view others in our, in our ranking. A lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discard, discord rather among brothers. Now for some of us, that's how we survived last week. I know because I've been there. That's me. Christ City, I could break down all of these seven things and articulate specifically how these destroy healthy community. But you get the idea, don't you? When we skip leg day, this is who we become. This is the trajectory that we are on. And it leads to death. And that brings us to our third point. Thankfully, the oasis of wisdom. See, skipping leg day doesn't have to be a death sentence. I'm just going to state that. It does not have to be a death sentence. We do not have to be stuck in the hamster wheel of death. No. We do not have to be isolated. We do not have to be, feel the effects of isolation, even though you may feel it right now. Proverbs gives us a pathway. It gives us a pathway through the mirage to an oasis. Another way to live. See, if the mirage leads to fractured relationship, isolation, and death, then wisdom and being in right relationship with God leads to the ability to be in right relationship with one another. Proverbs provides us another way here. It teaches us the balance that is wisdom and righteousness. Wisdom rightly orients our autonomy. Think about that. If wisdom is the, to be able to have the right relationality with others, that orients our autonomy. Wisdom rightly centers our need for competence in what we do and our purpose in life. It centers that, it centers that in wisdom. And, our wisdom. and wisdom rightly places our belonging not just within the community here, the community out there, but also with God himself. And this leads to human flourishing, not isolation and death. Wisdom and righteousness in Proverbs provides for us another way to be human, another way to be part of a community, not some sort of banal existence that kind of sits over here that, you know, just tries to try and balance our motivations and our own protection circle. 
or over here is some sort of twisted, weird utopia idea. No. Proverbs 2, chapter, chapter one, Proverbs 2, verses 1 to 10 show us a different path. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek for it like silver, search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. In other words, if you seek for God as if your life depends on it, he'll, you'll find him. You'll find him. And then he continues in, chapter, in verse 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the path of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. This is not a top 10 list of tricks and tips for better relationships. Nah, what chapter 2, verses 1 to 10 show us is more kind of a Lord of the Rings, Pilgrim Progress kind of journey. Fraught with danger, but worth it. Because the result is not saving, you know, humanity or the Middle Earth. It's about saving our souls. Bruce Walke says, I think this is a really helpful lens to think through here. The inspired sages, the writers of Proverbs, their conception of righteousness is socially transformative. It transforms the city of man into the city of God, from a culture that is metaphorically red, dripping with blood, to a culture that is green with life. Christ City, these inspired sages, they conceptualized a wisdom and a righteousness that was a relational oasis. Being in right relationship with God leads to the ability to be in right relationship with those around us. And chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, give us the path. Here's our hope this morning, Christ City, that what these sages looked forward to as a transformative principle in wisdom and righteousness, we can look back through the lens of Jesus. What we have tried and failed to do for generation upon generation, Jesus does for us. Think about that. Jesus, understanding that wisdom and righteousness is socially transformative, he reframes in John chapter 13, he reframes essentially the whole book of Proverbs into one word. Can anybody guess what it is? Come on, it's a Sunday school answer. It's love. It's love. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. That's relational, right? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus' conception of love is socially transformative. How has Jesus loved then? Well, you probably heard it at nauseam all summer, but it's still true. And it still has power. Jesus loves us because he disadvantaged himself for the sake of you and I. If you walked in here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, I wonder what Christianity is all about. If you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if Christianity is true. I, I don't even know if Christianity is, is a plausible thing I, I should be involved in. Is Christianity even safe? 
Now, if you walked in here thinking that, then, then here, listen. Jesus disadvantaged himself by dying on a cross to advantage us. So that we, as the foolish and wicked people of this world, can have his life, his wisdom, his righteousness, so that we can have his love, so we can belong, even if we skipped leg day. Chris City, if this is true, which I'm arguing that it is, this is truly an oasis in our broken and parched world. What we have tried and failed to do, Jesus does for us. For Jesus gives us wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Jesus stores up sound wisdom for the upright. Jesus is a shield to those who walk in integrity. Jesus guards the path of justice. Jesus watches over the way of his saints. That's us. And through him, we will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. And it is through Jesus that wisdom will come to your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. It's Jesus. Jesus is the way of life. This is the oasis of wisdom that the inspired sages looked forward to. And we have something that they don't. We have the privilege of looking back, empowered by Jesus' death, his life, his burial, his resurrection, his, his ascension, and him being at the right hand of the Father right now, advocating for you when you skip leg day. Christ City, do you see it? Without Jesus, I, Heath, skip leg day every single time. I protect myself, my image, at the expense of you. I advantage myself by disadvantaging you. That's my default setting. It's because of Jesus, him disadvantaging himself for me, that I can actually love you. Because ask my wife, I'm not that nice of a guy. It's through Jesus that I can allow myself to be vulnerable with you. It's through Jesus that I can surrender my need for protection to you. I can surrender my autonomy. I can surrender my grasping at competence so that I can not only belong to you, but to the one who resolutely loves me. Wicked warts and all. Full disclosure, I'm really not that virtuous. It is only through Jesus that I can actually disadvantage myself for the advantage of my neighborhood. Because let me tell you, I would rather not live on the downtown east side. I was on a bit of a holiday. So my, my daughter had a baby girl. Awesome. I'm grandpa number two, which is really cool. And then I hadn't seen my wife in a while, so we went to Salt Spring Island for a week. And I got back last night. And as I'm rocking up with my van, I pull out, I pull my suitcase out, and there, pretty much in my yard, is a guy in full distress. He's there, the ambulance is there, they got needles in him because they're giving him Narcan because he's OD'd, and the guy's like tripping Daisy, doing the funky chicken in my yard pretty much, and I'm like, oh, welcome home. Let me tell you, the only way I can deal with that, the only way that I can actually think, wow, that's an amazing thing, it's through Jesus' work in me. He's changed my heart, allowing me to see what is broken and hurting in a different way so I can actually disadvantage myself and have a joy in doing that. 
See, we have trouble with community Christ City because we're unwilling to disadvantage ourselves for the sake of the other. We, just like the culture, we walk around and we think that skipping, keeping, skipping rather, leg day is our only option to protect ourselves and to, and to lead to a flourishing life. We functionally live as though disadvantaging ourselves is foolish, stupid, and probably suicidal for our work. We live this way, when we live this way rather, in our workplace, in our relationship, it bleeds into everything that we do and it destroys us in ways we can't even fathom. So we do not have to be stuck with skinny supermodel legs. If relationality is a skill, if we are suffering in isolation even right now, through Jesus, we can become his disciples. And whatever doesn't come naturally to us can be a discipline when he empowers us. We can actually belong somewhere. We can actually grow in our love for one another. We can actually be a community that's on a hill that's glowing in love on full display for our culture and our society to see. And let me tell you, the conversations that I have when people ask if Christianity is safe, the only way to answer that question is our love in community. So, you have a choice this morning. Do you continue to walk in isolation or do you surrender your autonomy not only to one another, but to God and risk belonging. Let's pray. God, we confess that it's super duper hard to actually surrender key parts of who we are to you. We functionally don't believe that you can actually, <laughs> that you don't actually love us. And we functionally believe that we don't belong anywhere. And so we languish in isolation. So Lord, please forgive us for that faithless, and difficult thinking. So Lord, comfort us today. Give us hope today in your son, Jesus, who died for us to give us relationality with you. And Lord, I, I thank you that you can hear my prayers because he is at your right hand advocating for us. So Lord, we ask for forgiveness in areas where we have not walked in faithfulness, where we have not loved, where we have not walked in wisdom and righteousness. So Lord, I pray that you would empower us as a community of faith in you this morning. Amen. Amen.